The characters and events depicted in this audio are fictitious and a trial of reenactments. Any similarity to actual persons, living or dead, is purely coincidental. There's clearly no more profit for milk. I mean... It's tough surviving. Can you imagine that last week I had to sell the milk at a loss or the milk would have gone to waste? Seems like we are facing the same dilemma. If this situation continues, we might as well start doing something more profitable. This conversation is taking place after World War I. Milk prices dropped as a result of the war. Many creameries at that period of time had to merge in an attempt to cover their operational costs. Before the war, many settlers with the help of the colonial administration ventured into large dairy farming. But around this time, the first yielding cattle breeds were introduced to the country. The emergence of formalized institutions and organizational framework for milk marketing was also taking place. Now don't forget the delivery of livestock breeding and health services also there. Kenya Cooperative Creameries was formed in 1925 to facilitate the production, processing and marketing of milk, also insulating farmers from the impact of the depression. The growth of coffee and tea farming later made the demand for dairy to grow, which in turn brought an increase in demand for grade cattle. Settlers urged for restricted competition to ensure monopolization of this sector. They invested in creameries and commercial dairy herds. This domination was maintained till 1954 through KCC. In that year, the Swinerton plan turned the tables, as it was time the indigenous people had the piece of the pie. When the Swinerton report was first published, its findings complemented the East Africa Royal Commission report of 1953 to 1955. In it were a reversal of previous colonial policies on native agricultural practices. It recommended that one, all high quality native land be surveyed and enclosed. Two, the policy of maintaining traditional or tribal systems of land tenure be reversed, and three, all the thousands of fragmented holdings be consolidated and enclosed. The Swinerton report had these effects. The progressive farmers would thereby be able to obtain credit, which they had been previously denied. New title deeds for these farmers would create security of tenure, and this would also lead to investment and rural development. Furthermore, it recommended that native African farmers be allowed to grow cash crops. They will be given a major increase in technical assistance and have access to all marketing facilities, all of which were previously available and restricted to the white settler minority. This is a major win for us. We can now sell our farm produce. This is great news. Indeed. And not only selling, but also the fact that we can now access the previously restricted areas. What do you think, Maingi? We seem a bit quiet over this matter. Ah, I mean, time will tell. It is a great leap, regardless. Now note how there was a dramatic result in all this. A 55% increase from year 1955 to year 1964 in which the value of recorded output from the small holdings rose from 5.2 million pounds to 14 million pounds. The 55% accounted for just coffee. Land ownership was also addressed by this plan. 
It sought to consolidate scattered land holdings in central province so that land ownership could be concentrated in the hands of a few farmers. These individuals would then become transformed African middle class who engaged in economic production. At the same time, they would offer employment to those people rendered landless by the plan. The remaining lot would become small-scale rural craftsmen. The Swinerton plan marked a major policy turning point in the dairy sector, as well as opening up commercial dairy farming to the indigenous population. This was accompanied by government training of smallholders on better methods of animal husbandry. There was also deliberate measures to strengthen the farm production of smallholder farmers more generally. This saw the emergence of cooperatives and agencies for the marketing of agricultural produce. We need to figure out a way to ensure monopoly and dominance. Since the Swinerton plan, the margins have gone down. I know. I have been thinking the same thing. We really need to act fast. How about we craftily use the law? I like it. We can lobby the legislature as we did back in the 1920s. If it is in the law, the African man has to follow it. I mean, who has the gun? No guns. We just need to show them that we want the best for them. Look, how about we assign the African man areas to supply milk? What do you think about this? That's brilliant. We definitely need to be supplying the urban centers. The African man can supply the rest of the region. I have an approach. Let us lobby for an act that will formally do this. Of course, we can't just say the urban centers are ours. These cooperatives the African man has formed do not have the capacity and the land that they actually sell raw milk. Let us push for a regulation that in the urban centers, only pasteurized milk is allowed to be sold. As for raw milk, it can be sold anywhere except in the urban centers. How did this pan out, if you may ask? KCC maintained its dominance in the market, which meant it became the sole agent in marketing of dairy products in the main urban centers, which came to be known as scheduled areas. Now let me break this act down for you. The Kenya Dairy Board was the state agent to regulate this industry. KCC was appointed the sole agent for the processing, packaging, and sale of milk in the scheduled urban areas by the Kenya Dairy Board. And the establishment of regulations that were interpreted as keeping raw milk out of the scheduled urban areas. Informal traders suffered a huge blow in regards to this act. Most of these informal traders did not have a premise to carry out their business activities. The 1958 act did not make the sale of raw milk illegal. However, the Public Health Act, which KDB became responsible for enforcing within the dairy sector, states that traders in food products must have acceptable premises in order to be licensed. So no acceptable premises or no premises at all means no business. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Ladies and gentlemen of the press, good morning. This is a directive to all traders, especially the informal ones. You must have a stall where you trade. This stall should be clean. It should be in an acceptable premise in order to get a license. If you don't have a stall, and not only a stall, an acceptable one meeting our bare minimum, don't engage in the sale. Turn that radio off. They know very well we cannot afford to put up stalls 
let alone having one that meets their standards. Clearly, they don't want us to trade. Dairy farming was aided by the colonial situation, which had laid an elaborate infrastructure at that time. The infrastructure favored large-scale farmers coupled with state policies protecting and promoting settler economic interests. This brought about politics and economic interests among the different stakeholders. It promoted certain interests which followed into the post-colonial period. Kenya attains independence. This is 1963. We have equitable distribution of the country's resources as the center of the development policy. Control of economic activities, including the dairy subsector, was considered central for the country's social and economic development. A year later, a commission was formed called the Kibaki Commission on Dairy Development. This commission was formed primarily to address the issue of the dismal market participation by small-scale farmers. It put out a recommendation where all farmers had an increased access to the Kenya cooperative creameries, as long as they met the acceptable quality. Through the abolition of contracted milk quarters, this made KCC a guaranteed market for all raw milk. Hence, private dairies dealing with raw milk were shut down, giving KCC all monopoly rights and mandate to accept all milk delivered. A year later, a commission was formed called the Kibaki Commission on Dairy Development. This commission was formed primarily to address the issue of the dismal market participation by small-scale farmers. It put out a recommendation where all farmers had an increased access to the Kenya cooperative creameries, as long as they met the acceptable quality through the abolition of contracted milk quarters. This made KCC a guaranteed market for all raw milk. Hence, private dairies dealing with raw milk was shut down, giving KCC all monopoly rights and mandate to accept all milk delivered. With advantages such as monopoly to access protected urban markets and guaranteed loans from the government, KCC embarked on a rapid expansion program, an expansion which was necessary to achieving a national network. This expansion in capacity was necessary to achieve a national network of chilling stations and processing plants and packaging commensurate with its new role. This enabled it to be a reliable outlet for all dairy farmers. And since it cushioned the small-scale farmers from price fluctuations, it offered a stable marketing system. This contributed greatly to the confidence that farmers came to cultivate in KCC over the years. So, how did growth turn out in the coming years? Between 1961 and 1981, milk production grew steadily with an average annual growth rate of 1.69%. On the government end of the stick was the investment factor channeled into the dairy industry. The government, one, ensured highly subsidized inputs for breeding, animal health services, and production. Also, the cost of artificial insemination services was subsidized by up to 80% subsidy rates. Veterinary services and medicines were made available at nominal charges at more than 280 clinical centers across the country. Number two, intensified training for local staff. And number three, 
supported widespread introduction of highly productive breeds of dairy cows. The number of individuals seen as economic come political elites interested in pursuing large-scale farming and dairy farming were becoming more and more. This was inspired by the success of some of the large-scale colonial settlers. The new players bought settler land in the former White Highlands and also joined agricultural economic institutions established by the settlers, including KCC. The new small-scale dairy producers were being provided for valuable services. But on the flip side, KCC had started experiencing trading losses. This was around the 1970s, which led to a reduction of the price it was paying the farmers for their milk. A couple of turns took place between 1981 and 1991. First, there was a 10% growth. The subsidies also were really beneficial to the producers, but this was up to mid-1980s. The subsidies were gradually removed in the latter part of the decade. The overall growth of the Kenyan economy began to slow down during this period and note that the growth of the economy is an important determinant of dairy demand. KCC having a wanting run in this 10-year frame was attributed to partly increased volumes of business, increased politicizing of its operations, and inefficient management. There was an increase in volume of milk from small-scale farmers, and KCC was unable to cope with the demand. So two dairy cooperative societies were registered as dairy processors to help collect with the growing supply. The Meru Central Farmers Cooperative Union in 1983 for Eastern Province and the Kibinda Dairy Farmers Cooperative Society in 1986 for Western Province. This time frame witnessed a growing pressure for economic reform by donor agencies. Also, some influential politicians and farmers started pushing for an end to KCC's monopoly. 1987, ground started shifting. The government role of provision of breeding and health services was reduced. The liberalization of the manufacture and sale of feeds and a reduction of the government's role in the feed industry also took effect. Clearly, the high-flying eagle has its wings starting to be clipped. What next for this big entity? On episode 2, we cover how things looked in the 1990s to later years. Did the empire crumble or did it forge on? Next on Kenya's Blueprint. The 1990s witnessed KCC's gradual demise. What were some of the contributing factors to this? But today, we address the ever-growing competition from small-scale traders. Poor choices, poor results. Also, other farmers believed that they were being fought for, but this was not the case. Their names were just being used. Subscribe to this and other shows on acute.co.ke. You can also find us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other online podcast platforms. Music and production done by Kevin Ocheng and narration by Timothy Katimu. The references from the University of Nairobi repository research paper, Revitalization of Kenya Cooperative Creameries, The Politics of Policy Reforms in the Dairy Sector in Kenya, by Rosemary Atieno and Karuti Kanyiga, an acute media production. Kenya's Blueprint.